This episode is brought to you by Valora. Valora is a self-custody, mobile-first wallet, and the easiest way to send, swap, collect, and purchase digital goods on the Celo blockchain. Download the app and start exploring today at valoraapp.com forward slash empire. All right, everyone. After a two-week, three-week hiatus, I'm I'm back. I'm pumped to be back. It's uh, I'm, I missed you guys, and Santi, I missed you, man. How you been? I'm doing great. You know, it sounds like it was a great uh, honeymoon, so welcome back, sir. A whole lot of love. It was yeah. lovely. Yeah, it was a good time. Nice. Not too shabby. You uh, you grew a beard while I was gone. Looking, I mean, you've always had a beard, but like this is a bear market. It's getting a little longer, huh? Yeah, you know, I'm just sort of feeling it. I've thought yeah. about this. I've thought about shaving it all together, but I've had it since my second year at JP Morgan as an analyst, and I was riding the elevator with Jamie Dimon because it was like he was in the floor above us, oh, and he would look at me and be like, "Why are you like you're supposed to shave every day?" And I just did it because I I wasn't into that following like i was wearing a suit and tie <laughs> so I'm, gonna be, I'm gonna be rebellious look i had an that's offer your... back then to go to a private equity fund so i felt like you know it's like i know yeah. it's like when you're a senior in high school you already know which college you're gonna go to so you, you know so ever since then it's just sort of been my way of i don't know i feel i like it but i'm either gonna grow it a lot and then just shave it all and just go which you know, reminds me you know it's funny I, I have some i think people in those very cookie cutter mm-hmm. jobs like to rebel in these small funny ways like they'll be like um i, I have a bunch of friends who work in you know, banking or now i guess now pe a couple of hedge funds and stuff and they're like, like yeah yesterday should have should have seen the socks i wore like, uh, yeah, yesterday like i had a little bit of chocolate cake at lunch i'm like oh you you, you rebel you <laughs> You really hey, listen. Our, our crypto libertarian valleys uh, express via beer, whatever <laughs> you know, makes me sleep better at night, folks. Uh, Jason reminds me. Uh, I don't think you ever shaved your head, though. When the bull market comes back. No, what, what, what was the deal? There was no deal here. I was never you, shaving. You my head. said that you were going to be in solidarity with Coinbase and Brian Armstrong. Like, no, I, I remember I you said. saying. This is what Mike said. This Mike, what... we got to get Mike on the pod because I believe that you said you're going to go bald. So. I'm still waiting for that. If you go bald, I'll shave my beard. Let's put it that way. This is a much worse deal for me. That's a horrible. I, I don't. I don't. <laughs> Welcome to negotiation one on one, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, I nailed it there. Nailed it. Yeah, I know, yeah right? we'll consider. Maybe if Brian here, I'll maybe if Brian comes on the pod, I'll uh, I'll shave my head. There's there's my deal. If Brian's listening to this, there you go. A lot to talk about this week. Yeah. Um. I think it was Ryan Sean Adams tweeted i think it was ryan he tweeted out uh for for crypto ogs which market is uh which which bear market is worse this bear market or the last bear market and i thought it was a maybe we could talk about that because i'm definitely i think for i think i remain like incredibly excited by things that are going on right now but now that i've been back for a couple days like i've definitely noticed a lot of apathy and a lot of like you know i i I had a, a friend who's been in crypto for like four years and he's like, I'm kind of questioning why I'm doing this. And mm-hmm. I think like we just reached that stage of the bear market. Um, and I'd like to hear what you think about Ryan's question. So maybe I'll just ask it directly here. Like uh, you've seen a bunch of bear markets. Is this bear market worse than the last bear market? His, his question was, is it darker? Is it darker? Yeah. And I think it's an interesting nuance. I think it is darker. It makes it seem darker because the magnitude of the scams are larger. FTX, hmm. huge. Terra, huge. Like the, the sheer number of people and the magnet, like the loss is greater. <clears throat> and so it, it feels darker, but in no way, shape, or form is it worse. Like not even, uh, like it's in, it's not even comparable. 
in the pain that you felt and the uncertainty that you felt like in 2011 or 12, there was existential risk. You didn't know if this was going to work. And it was like largely Bitcoin back then. Felt fragile, feel like really like you're putting your your savings there. It's like, I'm not even, gonna, I, I put a, my bonus there from JP Morgan. I said, I'm not, I'm going to lose this, but I'm comfortable with that. There's a great Naval quote that says, investing in seed and venture, you're, you should be prepared to lose it all. And I sort of ascribed to that back then. So there was a lot of existential risk back then. There's huge wild swings from Bitcoin going for like, it went to that Mount Gox, like Mount Gox, my God, that was huge. Like, there was no infrastructure. Um, so no, I don't think it, it was worse. And then, and then the ICO boom, like, yeah, there was a lot of pain. A lot of projects like did some dumb stuff like holding ETH and their treasury depleted. Um, and then you're sort of left wondering, okay, this is a money raising machine. Are we ever going to do anything <clears throat> with that? But today, like, first of all, I don't think we're in a bear market. Like we've rallied 80% from the bottom and yet people are having mental breakdowns on Twitter. I mean, this is just a state of the, the, like, People are just conditioned in a way where not only in crypto, but just in traditional markets, the holding period is dramatically reduced. Young investors have zero patience. And you could look at that both ways. You could say it makes it really tough for projects that have a token for NFT communities because if you're not delivering, meaning if price is not going up, you're like people are just can leave. And the second, the the second, like I guess the alternative view to that is that's in presents incredible opportunities for people that are patient because you know i don't think we it's nearly as bad i think there's a lot of excitement to your point like you're building a, a media company there's a huge opportunity in building the bloomberg of crypto and you guys are doing that there's huge opportunity in actually i think crypto really rewards people and is rewarding them now if you, if you continue to keep your head down and build and you're patient and you don't do dumb stuff like uh, position your portfolio or whatever to be patient we're not in a, we're not, we haven't seen pain. Like when we hit a thousand bucks, you remember we were having these discussions like three months ago. Mm -hmm. I said, I think, I think the bottom here is like, you know, ETH at a thousand or slightly below that. We started to see some real pain, like, like anything but ETH below 800, there was like huge amount of like MKR uh, loans that would have to be refinanced or liquidated, but we're nowhere near there. And do you, so, Okay. I, I I tend to agree with that. By the way, I want to get I want, I want to talk about um like this kind of little mini bear market rally that we've had. But I mm -hmm. I actually tend to really agree with you. I think the it really comes down to in the last bear market there was an existential crisis of is this gonna work or not, mm -hmm. and now it's just like like how long is this gonna last? Um and and, and uh, you know I remember this conversation. I've shared this before, but I'll share it again. Like I remember Mike and I having beers in twenty. 19 late at the office one day i think we we're mm -hmm. trying to sell tickets to some conference and we started um, conferencing yeah uh yeah we was like we were behind on ticket sales for an event and we were like just ripping out linkedin messages trying to get people to come to this event yeah and uh we we're like damn like if this thing doesn't work like what are we gonna do and i think one of us was like oh, i think mike might have said like oh it'd be fun to work at netflix or something like that and um i think that actually just really some and like today I don't think Mike or I could ever imagine not working in crypto. Mm -hmm. And I think that really kind of sums up like the, the <clears throat> difference back then was nobody knew if this stuff was going to work. And I think a lot of folks were like, are we ever 
mm-hmm. coming out of, like are we ever coming out of this is there gonna be an, a light at the end of the tunnel and yeah. now it's like i know there's a light at the end of the tunnel i just have no idea when yeah. it's gonna be i have my own predictions on when on when this thing will turn around but uh, there, there's no question in my mind that this will turn around. And that's the biggest difference. In yeah, you know, I definitely agree with that. It is difficult because when you're investing founders and as a community, I think we tend to overpromise and in some ways under deliver, depending on the snapshot of time where you're looking at, have we made the progress that we promised? And there's always that gap, right? A large, in large part, last cycle was this infrastructure gap. Because we promised, you know, we would decentralize everything under the sun. But there was no infrastructure to support scalability, right? CryptoKitties congested the network, and that really marked the, the like the top of the cycle. And here we are now, because you could have you could have had this exact same discussion back then and said, "We're done." Like, you know, even something is like we're we're literally putting pictures of cats on the blockchain, which happened in the internet too. By the way, in the nineties, like people were like doing that in the early days. And fast forward to now, and like NFTs were all the rage, and they're real. And brands are excited and they're the cookies of Web3 and they're going to be explosive. We know that. I mean, they already are being explosive, like this idea of digital property. And so two different cycles. Now NFTs really are carrying the day in many ways. Huge onboarding mechanism and fun. People are excited about that. And it's just, a, I, I use it as an example to conceptualize this, these moments where, you know, we tend to overpromise, underdeliver, but you just have to be patient. Like gaming is going to be, is coming. I mean, you, you, at least now, you've come such a long way in the infrastructure side of things that you, the question now is more, does this really matter? Is there a real use case here? People are still going to play traditional games. Why would they come to Web3 games? And some people, some skeptics, rightfully so, are saying, none of this really matters. And I think, credibly, you can point to many examples. Mike had a great tweet. I tweeted about this last week, which is people are opinionated now about the things that they either like or don't like on chain and are commenting on real substance and activity. That wasn't the case in prior cycles. And so the question really is how big is this going to get? And I think a lot of us here, I was having this great discussion this week with the founder of Blur, we, we met in, in person and I was telling him, hey, h- how do you see the NFT market? How big does Blur get? And he's like, he said, I'm not as excited about real world assets, but I do think that NFTs are going to be explosive. Like it were just t- tip of the iceberg and a lot of it is collectibles. And I sort of like really like his thinking, um, this word of like, uh, you know, we tend to like visualize how crypto is going to fit in our current life. But I think a lot of the use cases we, it's hard to imagine, but it was hard to, like, this is the case with every sort of technology. And so, yeah, we just have to be patient. But, you know, let me ask you a question. Like, a lot of the team, I have noticed a lot of teams now, like a noticeably uptick in teams shutting down. And even, it's not just like investors and the community that are losing interest, but it's really like that whole subset of like a third of founders that are not really in it for the long term are leaving. Mm-hmm. And and so that's that's the hardest thing to to see, to be honest. But otherwise, yeah, I think I think well, there are just a lot more. I think what happened. So I'm I'm seeing the same thing. Like there are just so many companies yeah. shutting down right now, like really quietly shutting down. So we have um, let me look in our candidate. We use this tool called Ashby for like uh, I don't know tracking candidates. I think we've had like five thousand applicants to Blockworks in the past. Uh, in the past 30 days um and the you know the fundraise definitely helped uh drive some attention there but i think yeah i think we've had somewhere between like let's call it 
five to 6,000 applicants roughly. Um, and there's a lot of data there, right? So you can start to actually see who's applying. And for the first time in the market, you're seeing a lot of founders of like sub 10 person companies applying. Mm. And like publicly, like their companies are still working. But what that tells me is like they raised 18 months ago. They can't raise now. Mm. They're maybe looking to apply for our VP of research role or our director of product role. So they're, And then also like you can start to get some interesting insights into what companies maybe aren't going where it's not going so great in the series C series. D companies mm-hmm. with you know with like fifty applicants from from this one specific company. I'm like ah, seems like things are not going so well over there right now. But yeah, uh, and and then like just the to close out this conversation on the bear market, the from a emotional side, I think we just talked about that. But like if you just look at the numbers, the twenty each bear market is less bad than the last one in terms of like the drawdown. Right, 2011 we pulled back 94 percent. 2015 we pulled back 87 percent. 2019 which is by the way is a huge difference it's a huge yeah yeah it's like huge difference yeah um because the relationship is not linear right yeah exactly 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 so it, it always changes by like uh so it was 94 percent, then 87 percent. 2019 was 84 percent or 85 percent drawdown mm-hmm. uh and then this bull market or this bear market i think we've drawn down i don't think we've drawn down 80 percent. i think 80 down like for ETH, 78 or 79 percent yeah for eth uh it, it, yeah it's roughly there i think so anyways you're drawing down like a lot it's a massive drawdown ETH, 61 percent and bitcoin is a bit less i believe i'm just checking yeah. now so but if you look at like yeah. total market cap of the 61 both bitcoin yeah. and ethereum are down so the, 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 it's a dampened draw drawdown mm-hmm. um and it was a, i tend to agree with you on that Let's, uh, you had an, I, there's another tweet I wanted to talk about, which is, um, you tweeted out that you're thinking about building something, uh, and you, uh, there were a couple of options. You said, I have a growing desire to build something in crypto, but beyond mm-hmm. investing my own capital and education through the empire podcast, I have a few ideas. I thought it'd be fun to open source it. You said mm-hmm. media company fund with outside LPs and crypto friendly mm-hmm. bank and crypto friendly. It was interesting to see the results. Uh, 2000 yeah. people voted. Uh, 7% voted for media companies, 7% said that you should launch a fund, and 77% said you should build a crypto-friendly bank. Yeah. So before we talk about the crypto-friendly bank, mm-hmm. I actually would love to just get your, like, what's going on in your mind right now? Like, you want to mm-hmm. get back to building something? Like, t- tell me about how you're feeling about things right now. Well, I want to preface all this by saying I don't think I'm a good builder. I think I'm a better investor. But investing could... But I have a few ideas largely inspired by a lot of the false starts that we've had in, in the last cycle mm. uh, and a lot of ashes, you know, there's fallen giants, you know, uh, and, and so in large part is, you know, probably this is like the worst time. Like you, you, you can ask someone and say, I want to build a bank given everything that's going on. People think like, you're crazy. Like every small bank is like collapsing. Right. It's really hard to specifically want to do crypto stuff. Like your signatures down, Silvergate's down, you know, and then and then you know traditional like huge banks, right? But I actually think like I look at that and I get inspired because I think that this is perhaps the best moment in time to do that. Um, but even before that, like I left Parify because I wanted to just spend more time in working with founders and managing a fund is, you know, it's great. Like the relationship that I have been is, you know, I, I think it was a great run, but I just wanted to spend most or all of my time investing and not so much like doing everything else that involves like being at a fund with outside investors. And now this podcast is my, one of the, my main focus because I think the, the goal is to, you know, have open discussions and, 
you know, educate people without bias or, you know, as, as much bi less bias as possible. I think we've done good work here, but there's more to do, right? There's a lot of stuff that we can do. And so I've over, t over the years worked with a few people that I really like, and I would love to assemble a great team to, I think I'm out, even before the survey, I was like leaning towards a bank and it was nice to see that. Uh, and so, yeah. I, I think that's where, am I going to be involved in day-to-day? -day? No, I have no business in running a bank. There are smarter, more competent people to do that. But if I can assemble the team and, and help start it and mm. guide it with everything that I've lived through over the years in crypto and observed, I come from a finance background, then I think, I think it would help the space. Like mm. I, I was just, I'm, I've been more and more thinking of someone's going to pick up the ashes and rebuild something that actually works. Like, if if you think that BlockFi was a terrible business, you're absolutely wrong. It's a great business, terribly managed. So swap up the team. So it's it's almost like that idea. Well, of like, so, so, so tell me about this, Ante. Are you thinking a B2C bank? Like a BlockFi was a B2C bank. A B2B bank would be like a, uh, what are they called? Um, I'm thinking of everything Silvergate, bank. Everything uh, bank. Everything. Like uh, servicing individuals that want it on board and off off board, you know, crypto, but also institutions. Hmm. I think what is it, you know, I'm, I'm mindful of timing and I think this is a huge, like Herculean effort. It might not work. Um, but I think going through the process will be worthwhile to understand really like also get it close to, you know, regulators, especially in Europe. I think it, it happens in Europe. I'm based in Europe and I've got no, you know, how banks operate here, whether it's in the UK, France, or Switzerland. I think it's Switzerland, but, um, you know, Switzerland historically has been crypto friendly, but Mika, I think, opens up a, a good possibility to maybe do it outside of Switzerland and the European Union or in the UK, which is also kind of move forward. And <clears throat> yeah, you know, I think there are a few companies out there that, that already do it. You know, Revolut's also trying to, you know, spin up their own kind of bank and, and, and service crypto. So there's ongoing efforts, but um, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. How serious are you about this? Pretty serious. Yeah. I like, I've, I've been in ongoing discussions for the last like three months. Nice. I think this is, I, I initially had, as you recall, an insurance, uh, an idea to do an insurance company. Right. Too early though. Yeah. Yields are terrible. And for that reason, it just doesn't work. But I think if you have a good banking platform, it then allows you to do so many other things. So you would go, so let's walk through the strat strategy a little bit. So you would not run this. You might be like the chairman no, of this, hell one no, of the founders. No. You would hire a CEO who really understood yeah. banking. Would you hire them from crypto or from traditional capital markets? Both. You know, I, I think it, the, the team looks like the top hires are a great banking executive, you know, I, that actually doesn't have a maturity mismatch, you know? Mm -hmm. I think the folks at BlockFi, no disrespect, but had no business and in, in, didn't understand risk. You need to be really good. And the mismatch like is what gets every single bank. The Silicon Valley guys at some point lost it because they had this asset liability mismatch. So hire someone from JP Morgan. I think like someone like uh what's her name? Uh not Mary Meeker, but uh, <laughs> yeah. uh what's her uh good luck. Life Masters, for instance. 
Oh, she yeah. was working. she was running digital asset. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she was like she was huge inspiration. Yeah, yeah. She she there's a great she book was. called uh, Fool's uh, Fool's Gold, and she yeah. was like she was she's, she's like a the 2008 pretty, uh, credit default swaps. <laughs> but she's smart. Like she knows how <laughs> banks work. Yeah, so yeah. something like that, like yeah. an executive from um from J.P. Morgan or a, a big yeah. bank. Well, if Jamie Dimon well, doesn't uh, run for president of the United States, maybe <laughs> go talk to him. So, someone like that, plus also someone on the regulatory policy side that really understands crypto. You know, someone like Rebecca, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, and then like, uh, and then on the operation side, just guys that get banking. Are um, you subtly like recruiting Rebecca through publicly mentioning her name to try to get her to be? <laughs> we've been super close. Like we were no, close, no, in, no, no. I, uh, you know, since the Ave days and even yeah. before then. Uh, but no, no, uh, no, no. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about it. Nice. As what, I said, um, what, 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 would, what do you think you will uh, will will raise? Because this is obviously a bit you need a lot of capital to go do this. No, I mean not like a ton. You need okay. You need some, at least you need some capital. So like you have ten million to, bucks. Ten. Okay, so you need ten million. Would you put this up yourself, or would you raise it externally? Uh, with a partner. Yeah, and then maybe raise a bit. Yeah, but uh, I think the key here is getting a license, and part of getting the license is having a good team. Well, part of, or or you could take the other strategy. You could actually do the FTX strategy, which is uh, maybe I shouldn't say the FTX buy strategy, licenses. but you can buy the licenses. Yeah, there's some really cheap. There's some really no, cheap no, I get publicly it. traded. A, a lot OTC. of yeah, a lot of these like some of these licenses you can buy in distress, like they're in receivership. Issue is you don't want to get that bad rep. I want a clean slate. Yeah, and make a splash because I've hired the top executives and a serious team. Crypto deserves a good bank and a serious team. Like I want JP Morgan quality. I come from JP Morgan. I'm biased there, but you know, high quality, talented individuals, and maybe they have interest in crypto personally. And so they, they see this as it is worthwhile to have and dominate the market. And we could start in Europe or the UK and then go from there. Like I'm optimistic because the banking license timing wise sequence, it sort of takes. Why, why, why would you start in Europe? in Europe when most of the <clears throat> crypto companies today are in, are in the US? I just think, uh, I think the, the regulatory environment is friendlier here. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm based here. Like Switzerland is, it's just, I think a place where my head goes, but I'm open. Like I'm, I'm exploring all avenues. Uh, probably like Dubai, for instance. Like, but like I just feel that a top quality bank needs to either be based in Europe or the U.S. Agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I agree. Um, all right, sir. We'll have to. Uh, you have to keep. Crypto. I'll close this out. If anyone is interested, please reach out. I'd love to. I'm in the sort of that phase where I'm talking to everyone and anyone about it. There are ongoing efforts and whatnot. Um. So yeah. Nice. Good stuff, sir. Um, that's yeah. exciting. What what yeah. next? Should I'm, I'm still, I'm still going to talk this. about uh, the I'm market. Do this, by the way, I like it. I like it. Yeah. I think it's, so. You um, is there anyone else? Are you going to do this with the co-founder? Are you going to probably? Yeah, 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 yeah definitely, definitely. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm not good at a, a million things that are required to execute here to the best. Why do you think you're not a good builder? Oh, I've tried it before. You don't like it, or you don't think you're. Like, I don't have the especially. patience for it. I have too many ideas and I love investing because I, I want to do many things. And I would rather empower someone with capital and some guidance than like getting my hands like really dirty. Wow, that's I, so I funny that you say that. I feel like I'm not a great investor because I don't have the patience for it. I'm like, 
Oh, man. Because you with building, you can go do so many things. Like you can have a thought one day and then you can go, you can go see it out in the world the next day. Yeah. Like I, I, um, it has helped me. Like I try to build this company with a few folks, a uh, validator, running validators. Oh, pre Lido days, yeah. right? Oh, we should talk about Lido is, next, actually. Yeah. yeah. By the way, yeah. Cause someone tweeted, like, uh, Mike was like, this is a great investment. Like, but no, I just sort of realized, like, I don't, I love investing. I just, I just love, it. I like thinking about where things are going to go and, and having my hand, like the, being in a position, a platform where you can see what other teams and collecting that information and have a good pulse on where the yep. state of the industry is. But yeah, like the <clears throat> running that company was like, I was thinking about Lido before Lido existed. And so when I saw it, I knew the guys that were running it, they were crushing it. They would always crush it. They would win every single game of state competition for Cosmos. They ran the best validators. Yeah. And so when they were raising, I'm like, take all of my money. And so Parify ended up being the first or second largest investor in Lido in the seed round. And everyone was passing on it. People were like critical of, is there merit in having a like um, a, a cluster of validators? And you had to believe proof of stake was going to happen. And Ethereum was like still in that process. Was that uh, was that Lamashuk or whatever? Uh, Constantine? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, those guys, P2P, like they 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 know what they're doing. Valora is the ultimate wallet for exploring the Celo ecosystem. You can easily access over 50 different crypto assets and 30 different dApps for swapping, sending, and growing your crypto all from your mobile phone. Their global app is localized in over 13 different languages and over 100 different countries, giving you, the Crypto Explorer, access to a simple and easy way to send payments, purchase digital goods, and access a suite of decentralized financial services. Valora provides one-stop access to more than 36 dApps, including dApps like Plastics, the global plastic recovery network. This week, Plastics launched a new NFT collection with FC Barcelona, which will support the collection of 1 million kilos of plastic over the next three years. Super cool. Download the Valora app. Start exploring the new collection on Plastics today at valoraapp.com forward slash empire. Let's talk Lido then. So there's mm-hmm. um, basically there's FUD happening with Lido, I'd say right now. The Lido situation, to kind of summarize it, is that there's um, there's a total of 19 million ETH staked on Ethereum. Six million of that ETH is staked on Lido. So the 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 math right there for you, for you all is thirty six percent of all staked ETH is staked with Lido. Mm-hmm. Um, some more data points: more than thirty two percent of all validators are using Lido. Uh, currently, Lido is the number one protocol on ETH with a with TVL of more than thirteen billion. That is more than twice the TVL of the second largest project. Um, which is that Rockable? No, which is uh, Maker. Maker. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, I thought you were just talking about yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that is, um, uh, it's close to all, uh, I think it's 6% of all the ETH in existence is mm-hmm. uh, inside of Lido it's right now. Um, Lido uh, turned on the, the withdrawals, I think it was two or three weeks ago, had basically no effect on TVL. Uh, over the past month, Lido's TVL grew by 11%. Um, so basically, I mean, Lido is just dominating right now. And I think the, the mm-hmm. FUD or the pushback on Lido is that 36% of all staked ETH is held by one entity. Um, and if you look at maybe what folks in the Solana ecosystem or in other ecosystems are, are saying, the pushback here would be that, um, you know, this kind of centralizes ETH um, <clears throat> and that like this, this is just we, net negative for the system. Yeah. I, I would push back on it, but I'm curious. I mean, you've been involved with Lido since. I would encourage early- people to go listen to a conversation that I, I believe we had Constantine here. 
even before oh, I started we officially. Didn't we have him talk about Solana? Like there was an episode on Solana that we did and Constantine was actually an early investor in Solana as well. And so we had him on here in Empire, I believe. Mm -mm, and mm -mm. it was him and me talking about Solana. No, well, maybe. We should we should have him on. I was, yeah, we I was, should have I was him talking on. to him about coming on and we, it just never. It I'll, I'll ping him for sure. But I yeah. think the, the, the TLDR is, I think there is a risk, of course, that if anything were to go wrong in the light of smart contracts and now that ETH is no longer accessible or there's a bug or whatever, it's problematic. But people should be aware that there are a number of entity validators within the Lido ecosystem that constantly get reviewed. And it's not like just one, you know, party that is validating. There are a number of people in that Lido ecosystem that do it is my understanding and has been for a while, I believe. But um, so, so yeah, I, I, I just want to point that out, right? I mean, the, there is a risk, of course, and there's always smart contract risk. But um, there's a lot of Lindy, of course, now um, in, in how they manage their operations and how, you know, they, they sort of the, the committee itself uh, um, manages, like reviews which validators get inducted into this kind of like federation of sorts right. liquid staking was always going to be a winner take all game and uh, yeah winner take, winner take most winner take most yeah game. i mean look it's a fluid market right a, a lot of people are looking at the rates that you can get on some of these various liquid staking derivatives and then easily move around and so now that the market's a bit more fluid now withdrawals are enabled then i think it uh naturally there may be some more, um, I guess, movement, and that ratio may may fluctuate over time. But um, um, it, the the reason I brought up the Solana kind of point is, I think uh, when you're thinking about blockchains, generally speaking, I think it's natural tendency for these systems to cluster and and have some concentration. And you know, because the argument for Solana has always been, well, <clears throat> it's really hard to kind of run a validator like the computing costs are much higher than ethereum like in ethereum anyone with a raspberry pi can like run a node but no one really does right in practice no one kind of very few people do that and so it's just important to remember like yeah of course you want to push decentralization and in a perfect world you would want to have that number go down but um the question is if it's going to happen it's happening already i mean six percent is i would say it's like not ideal but it's not also huge right it's not like 50 percent yeah. Well, I think there are two important things to think about here too. One is, um, what's the alternative? The alternative is, if you look at the top uh, staking folks, it was uh, the centralized exchanges like Kraken and Binance, and now Coin, uh, you know, now Coinbase is coming up there. So, would you rather have all of this capital and ETH inside of Lido, or would you rather have it inside of the centralized exchanges? For me, I'd way rather have it inside of Lido. And then the other thing um, that I think you have to consider. So if you believe that the the end state for liquid staking is a winner winner take all or winner take most market, then uh, you kind of have to think about like, well, are you fine with that? And if you're not, or are you not fine with that? And if you're not fine with it, then how do you? You're basically you're basically asking Lido to self limit the amount of the the amount of market share that they have, which sends the message that if you get too much market share. Ethereum is going to like Ethereum and the Ethereum community are going to go against you, which I actually think has a really negative uh, repercussion of disincentivizing builders 
to build really big and su successful companies uh, and like value added projects on top of Ethereum. Um, yeah. So my pushback for or my my advice for people who are like don't like Lido gaining all this market share is like free market, go build a better product. Lido's got the best product on yeah. the market right now. There was a poll that, uh, I mean, for this discussion, it's kind of ongoing and important. Like, uh, Deegan Spartan's kind of been covering it pretty well. There's a poll that um, <clears throat> talked about what you just said, like Lido poll, which people, Lido could vote, of course. It said, should Lido like self limit? And the overwhelming, you know, majority said no, like 99.81% said no. Mm. Now, of course, you know, these are people that have Lido. So yeah. they're biased, obviously. It's kind of a, but still, mm. you know. Uh, there's a concept called like Ferric victory, which is if you're a Lido holder, like at what point do you push it? I think the, you might look at that if you're a Lido holder and say, you want to make sure that this is the dominant player. And of course, um, it's like, but they, if there comes a point where it, you don't want it, maybe right now it's fairly low and you say, could it go to 12%? Yeah, why not? But if after a certain limit, I, th I think even as a Lido holder, you say, wait, for the good of the ecosystem, you kind of don't want it to go up above a certain yeah. range. But if I don't think any pushback on Lido. I, there. Yeah, if there's any pushback on Lido, I actually think people are focusing on the wrong th thing here. If you had to push back on Lido, I don't think it's about their market share and about a monopoly because I think that liquid staking will always like that market is like I said gonna gonna be a winner take most market. It's um I haven't looked in a couple of months at the number of um. A uh, number of addresses that control the protocol, but like last time I checked, I think it was around like fifty or sixty, and like that number should probably increase. Um, mm. So that would maybe if I had if I'm trying to pick uh, a, 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 a problematic thing here. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, um, let's move on. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk Animoca. So. And by the way, this is, I think, the most important thing. If you're going to listen to one thing of this episode, I think it's this. So Ryan Weeks at the block reported that, um, let me just read this story. So Animoca, this is the title, Animoca Chair says turbulence of last two years to blame for delayed 2020 accounts. And this was kind of like, seemed like a nothing burger story. No one reshared this story really. Um but let me, let me read some of the, the highlights here. Animoca Brands was given an extension until the end of Q1 this year for publishing audited 2020 accounts, but it is yet to do so. Uh, Chairman Yatsu said the impact of events in 2021 and 2022 are to blame for the delays, are partly to blame for the delays. Animoca is yet to produce a long-delayed set of accounts for 2020. Um, uh, they have been given an extension to file an audit, their audited financial report for 2020, which was originally due to Australian regulators by the end of 2022. The once listed firm negotiated a later filing date, pushing the deadline to the end of the first quarter of this year with, uh, with subse uh, subsequent accounts uh, to be filed later in 2023. A spokesperson at Animoca did not expect to miss the deadlines, they said. Two months after the revised have. date, the, a spokesperson said at the time that Animoca did not expect to miss the deadlines, but they did, in fact, miss the deadlines. Um, but two months after the revised date, the accounts are yet to appear. This could be a total nothing burger of a story and could be, but like we are too deep into the bear market and have had too many of these kind of things that like my, when I see something like this, my spidey senses start going off 
Um, and we've just, I think like, you know, there are a lot of conversations about like when you see something, uh, a lot of times in the bull market, people would see kind of like weird things like this and wouldn't say anything. And I now feel like it is my responsibility and your responsibility and uh, to, to, to call out things like this. I'm very hopeful this is a total nothing burger and they're just slammed. But man, we I, I know no. what it, we, we've done an audit at Blockworks. I know what it takes to do an audit. The, I'm sorry, but even if you're slammed, you do not miss your audit for, was it two, three years now? Two years? It's mid-2023, my friend. The 2020 <laughs> audit is not done. Come on. I was losing my mind. Yeah. yeah. I think there's an interesting, before I give my thoughts here, and by the way, we're paying a lot of attention to this, um, and we will be reporting on it. And if someone from Anamoka wants to come forward and explain the situation, we would love to do that. So there's an interesting statement from the, I believe it's uh, Yatsu, the chairman, says that the issue here, why purportedly they're delayed, is um, they are, quote unquote, let's say we made an investment in 2022, in 2020, and it had an impact in 2021 or 2022. They want to reflect the that impact in the 2020 accounts. And that's basically what's causing quite a bit of these delays, right? So my, I read that and I need to validate and confirm this by looking at their financial statements. But my intuition is that it's related to how they hold their investments and how they account for those. So for context, right? Animoca is a huge holding company. They've made I mean, God, they made every investment under the sun on gaming and, you know, so they, they have their hands on a lot of investments, hundreds probably. Um, and so anytime, and this is, brings me back to my days when at Parify, like when, when you're marking a position, you have to at some point, right? If you make an investment, um, you typically carry it at cost, right? If it's venture and then it takes time. And if they raise around or they have a liquid token, but it's locked, then you have to somehow account for that in the balance sheet. Sorry, in the financial statements. Um, as a holding company, kind of you're reporting like, you know, the value of your book. And I think that that's the discrepancy here. And that's why they've delayed. Now, the question becomes, well, what kind of policy have, and how have they marked their positions over time? Um, to your point around FTX, this is a huge problem, right? Some people are a bit more aggressive than others in how they mark their positions. And so... Well, that was the whole thing that started to unravel them is they marked these positions yeah, with super were, low float. Uh, uh, like FTX got a lot into trouble because they were marking their serum position and borrowing against that which is a an illiquid position and two it's very low float and price discovery is you could argue that's not the real price of the project right a lot of these crypto projects raise money or have a token and there's like less than 10 percent of the circulating supply of the total supply circulating sorry and so the the valuation of that project like is not in the billions. It's like, if you try to sell your position right now, like, you will not get that price. And a big indicator of that is secondary market activity. The price in the secondary market is a far more realistic barometer of the value of that position. And if you look at the secondary market, historically over the years, like over the last six, seven years, the discounts on these illiquid positions 
tend to be at least 30, 40, 50, even up to 90, 80%, right? If you're holding like a, a, a liquid bag of a gaming project, if you're at a MOCA, are, you're not marking that a price of token right now. Say they have a ton of Axie. Yeah, maybe they invest in Axie. And Axie has a token price. You go on CoinGecko and you see the price. You're not, in your books, you should not be multiplying the price of that. No, no. With your position, which is locked. And you can't sell today. And even if it was not locked, there's like different discounts that I think of in my brain. One is a liquidity discount. Um, the other one is sort of like, you know, illiquidity meaning it's locked. Like you can't practically sell it. It's not freely traded. The other ones, of course, are more structural, which is, you know, you you can't sell the position, like marketable marketability. If you're a huge holder, good luck trying to offload that book. Like Tiger, for instance, is offloading a bunch of their tokens. When they do that, everything's on chain. You could see that. And prices go down 20, 30%, like after huge unlocks. Sometimes depends on the secondary market activity. But um, again, it's, um, it's worth focusing on because... You know, Animoke is a big player in the space. What, what did they... They used to be public. They're no longer public, right? They got delisted by the Australian Securities Exchange. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm, just, yeah, just putting up the red flag on this one. Um, to make an yeah. audit is like... Uh, it takes a lot of work, but it's a pretty simple thing if your books are in order. Um, well, you said something... Them. Yeah, you said something really interesting, which is bull markets tend to um, abscond these things. Like, you know what I mean? In a raging bull market, if you're valuing your book at, you know, none of this kind of really matters, right? You don't get margin called. Right. You can meet your whatever. But as soon as prices go down, good luck. Good luck. You know, there's a huge unraveling. Uh, I hate that that would be the case, but it's not looking yeah. good. And, and, and I sort of have a few questions. Like, where are the investors in Anamoka? Like, if I'm an invest, I'm, I'm not. But if I were an investor in Animoca, you know, I'm like, who's calling chairman? Who's on the board and who's saying, "Hey guys, like, what's up?" Like, who's in the supervisory committee? Who's in the financial committee? Like, is there, is there, like, <laughs> it's just crazy sometimes. Yeah, I mean, look, mind you, this happened to Enron. Too. Like, bad accounting policies have <laughs> like taken down so many companies. Um, and like, even though, even though large auditing firms have stepped, you know, after FTX, I think like even before that, a few aud large auditing firms have said, look, we're not going to audit crypto companies as a matter of policy. Um, but still, I think, you know, there are firms doing audits out there. And if you're a holding company, it's fairly straightforward about like, you know what I mean? Like, there's some nuance and reporting that needs to be done and like footnotes and whatnot, but it's not rocket science. Yep. We'll keep an eye on it. Let's move past. Yeah. I think we'll talk more about it next week. Once we yeah. look at the financial statements. I mean, I don't know if the financial statements are public. I like, I, I don't want to, I want to, yeah, I want to look into it. They're not. Um, Okay, well, if someone from Animoca wants to come and talk about this stuff, would love to. Yeah. Um, okay, we're not raise fought, but it is alarming. It's concerning. Yeah, yeah, it is pretty concerning. Let's talk about the SEC. Um, mm -hmm. If you guys remember, uh, 
the SEC a year ago, the, the DOJ and the SEC charged this former Coinbase product manager with insider trading. His, his name is Ishan Wahi. Um, uh, they charged Ishan and two others. Uh, said that they made more than a million bucks trading on insider information. Um, uh, specifically, like based on confidential information about future listings uh, that th- that this PM got from being a PM at Coinbase. Uh, there's actually a pretty interesting thing that just kind of went under the radar here. The SEC just entered a proposed settlement in their case against Ishan, uh, the the former Coinbase PM. Um, I'm not sure what this. So, and like the fu- the full story here is that he pleaded guilty to the DOJ charges and settles, but strongly contested. Uh, the SEC charges. Uh, Paradigm also, Paradigm the Fund also mm-hmm. filed a brief supporting Ishan's defense against the SEC, arguing that the tokens could not be deemed securities, even if they were initially sold in securities transactions. And um, yeah, it looks like the SEC just entered this proposed settlement. I think it's a pretty big deal here, actually. I think it's a complete surrender uh, on the SEC's behalf. I think it kind of shows the weakness in the SEC's like big theories about secondary market trading of uh, crypto. And I think it's a pretty decent uh, and meaningful development for the industry. This is probably me talking my book and being biased because I don't think that personally think that the SEC should be involved in all of this. But um, yeah, I don't know. DOJ got a guilty plea, but the SEC completely folded when they were, they got hit with this pretty like intense pushback on their claims that tokens trading on secondary markets were securities. Um and yeah, I'm, cur- I'm curious if you th- agree with me that this is that big of a deal or if you're just like, yeah, this is a nothing burger. No, I think it's very important. And I think it's a part of a broader trend here of, you know, it's nice to see um, the, some of these cases where there is pushback. You go to court and you get a better interpretation and uh, as opposed to immediately kind of folding and settling. And, and I think um, so it's, it's encouraging to see that. And I've always said this, you know, I have faith in when we talk about the U.S. being against you know crypto i don't i don't think it's the case i think i still have faith in the court system and the proper interpretation of, of these things and so yeah i think that the key the key as you said is this idea that like you know tokens trading on secondary market are not securities and i think coinbase really got behind that paradigm got behind that and it's good to see that for sure yeah yeah um we'll see i mean i this could just be them as well like the optimistic view is that the sec realized their case is weak and they gave up the the other view is that like this was just drawing a bunch of resources and they need to free up resources no, for for their final I mean, uh, chairman Genser uh, has come out requesting for more budget um yeah. and oh you don't say you don't say. yeah <laughs> yeah um nice by the way uh, as an aside on uh, we're talking about budget on the debt ceiling resolution that got passed the i it would be interesting to see the budget of the SEC if it went up or or not or stayed the same because they did a number of cuts, not, not like super material, but there was a cut. And I'm curious what the budget of the SEC looks like over the next coming kind of years. Hmm. But maybe we can talk about that next week. Yeah, I don't I don't know what it is. But yeah, I don't know why there was just it just popped in my head as we talked about. Are they, you know, because he claims that they're fairly understaffed. And yeah. Yeah. Well, they did pull back the remember the IRS got approval to hire like 140,000 new people yeah. or something like that. Did that get part of back? the debt part of the debt ceiling negotiation okay. was pulling some of that back. I see. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Got it. There were, there were a couple of interesting things that got caught, clawed back. Like one of them was um covid uh there were a couple of things. Axios did a good article on it. Mm. Um Okay. What else man? I think that's kind of it for this week. Um Yeah. Um don't send your money to uh 
Ben.eth or any of these other like <laughs> random addresses Man, that are uh, promising returns? You know, if you want to send your money, guys, there's a lot of charities and research institutions out there. Like, constantly reminded of like, <laughs> just do that. Like, you know, I'm not here to say how you should spend your money and you've hard and you pay, you know, worked hard for it and whatnot. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it is amusing to see for sure yeah it is awesome man what are you doing this weekend any any books by the way or um series uh, oh you know what i want to uh, talk about this there was a, a poly market uh poll on who uh, so i watched succession finally finished it yesterday and i was shocked at the result uh, and this will not be a spoiler alert but poly market ran a uh, um a market, I guess, on who the next CEO of Succession is going to be. And the, it was like, when I looked at the poll, I couldn't believe it. And it ended up being right. Just, uh, it's fascinating prediction markets and like the sort of clustering of uh, wisdom of the crowds, if you will, can work in some instances. It's pretty interesting to see that. So anyways, I watched Succession. Pretty cool. Pretty entertaining. Nice. Um, there's a Conor I... McGregor documentary out there that came out. Also interesting. Hmm. Um, you know those those two. Um, I have a recommendation. Uh, Obama has this new show on Netflix called Working. It's just four episodes. Basically, he goes to three American workplaces. One is the Pierre Hotel in New York. The mm -hmm. other is um this like home healthcare place, and the other is a uh, uh, self driving car startup. The one that acquired Uber's self driving car unit. And he basically in each episode looks at one part of the like the totem pole of the workplace so like the first episode is about like the lowest people quote unquote the next is like the mid people the third is like the upper class of the companies and mm -hmm. that's that's as far as i am i haven't got to the fourth but i'm assuming the fourth episode's like the ceo or something or the the chairman yeah. pretty interesting uh hmm. series looking at um i think it's interesting because i'm also uh just about to start this book called poverty by matthew desmond um okay. you wrote this book that was really good called evicted a couple of years ago and okay. uh, i don't know it just kind of examines how is uh being poor in the u.s is very different than being poor in a bunch of other rich countries um and have, have oh. two friends mm -hmm. who i really uh, respect who who highly recommended it kind of like the hillbilly eulogy which was gained popularity a few years back yeah which was, which was yeah like guys like being poor in america is not being poor in like the democratic republic of congo yeah uh maybe that's not the right take, not but. real not not really <laughs> that but but that was yeah. also a good book <laughs> that was a good book uh speaking of like uh i think uh around this idea of poverty there's a great youtube um it was a great book but like the world is not as bad as it seems i think hans rosling who passed away but he has a great youtube i think it was a ted talk but it's on youtube find it it's really good. When, whenever you lose faith in humanity and the world and whatnot, like go look at that because I think the media 24-7 news cycle tends to portray the world in a far, far worse situation because there's huge problems in the world. But it's really interesting when you apply actual data and statistics and look at how far we've come. Less conflict, you know, mortality rates, poverty. Like statistically speaking, we are in a way better place yeah. uh, than we were like 50, 100, 200 years ago. So Preach. that's not to say that we can't do better as humanity as humans yep. but nonetheless we'll end it on a cheerful note you know go out and have some some fun this weekend um 
We'll We're be hiring back. at Blockworks. We have a ton of open roles. Yes. Come, uh, come work at Blockworks. That's my pick. Yeah. You know, it's nice to see that. And, uh, yeah. you know, permissionless is coming up. So I'm excited about Preach. that. I'll make the plug. You know, you see this? Typically, <laughs> you always plug this. Now I'm plugging it. I love it. Uh, I'm excited about it. I'm excited to go to Austin and, and hang out with uh, crypto peeps. Nice. All right, sir. Be well. Great. Enjoy the weekend. Thank uh, you. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll see you on uh, Tuesday for another episode. Awesome. Thanks, everyone.